0: A Rich Tradition College Football Podcast is now live.
1: Hello and welcome to a Rich Tradition College Football Podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Stelton Pole, two friends, one love, and that is college football. And Roberto. How are you, my friend? It's been it's been a little bit of time.
0: It has been. Um we're at the end we're the end of our respective seasons and school years um oh man it i cannot wait for summer um yeah but, but yeah, just man.
1: wrapped up it's yeah you just had commencement and graduation uh, last weekend and i know the high school seasons are getting close to finishing up as well so or the high yeah. school semester is getting finished to closing up as well so yeah we're uh, right at the nitty gritty
0: yeah man uh we Short were talking we're talking off air for a minute. I'll, I'll just make mention of this. Um, we, my my school, Mount Perrin, is uh, playing um, playing in uh, the state championship for baseball uh, classification two A, um, and playing against our rival um, up here, uh, North Cobb Christian, uh, both mm. also two A. Um, they're going for their second title in like three years. But uh, the interesting part is that my school has currently. Six division one signees. Hey, oh, yeah, man, that's exciting. We're just built different up here when it comes to baseball, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and we were also talking this the high school that I went to, uh, here in uh, South Georgia, and the rival high school of the school that Robbie went to just won the state championship, uh, this week as well, here on the 17th of May. So, baseball, exciting baseball things all around, and the um, one of the other local ones down here in South Georgia, uh, Cook County, Rob is also in 2A, and they lost to North Cobb Christian uh, earlier in the playoffs. So it could have got kind of close to being a, a a Mount Perrin and Cook County matchup there for that 2A state championship. So that that's kind of interesting as well.
0: Yeah, I was I was telling people uh, last year when when uh, Mount Perrin was about to transition to 2A that. Like, there, there's a world in which, in the state playoffs at least, you'll eventually play someone from south of Macon that that I played against yeah. in some kind yeah. of sport. Um, but yeah, man, we're, you know we're not to, not here to talk about baseball, but I just thought that was really cool. Um, <laughs> what, what what we got going on tonight, Spencer?
1: Uh, well, just a couple of news notes from here as of uh, recent, and as as me and Robbie get back into the swing of things, we'll. Uh, try to you know catch up on other news items that we've missed. But sort of the, the hot topics for here in the middle of May, um, we'll start with uh, Robbie's wheelhouse, and that would be uh, the recruiting ranks. Uh, Dylan Rayola this week. Uh, I think it happened over the weekend, but it was announced on Monday. Dylan Rayola, the number one overall recruit for the 2024 class, uh, five-star quarterback out of Arizona, six foot three, 220 pounds, a solid 220. Uh, They're out of Arizona committed to uh, Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs on Monday. So uh, the dogs sort of get a little more rich there. Uh, But what sticks out, of course, Rob, I'll get the conversation started. What sticks out is, uh, you know, it's an offensive five-star player. I saw a stat the other day or earlier today that mentioned Kirby assigned just nine five-star defensive linemen. And he's uh, since— you know, since he's been uh, these or over the last two years, nine defensive linemen. Dylan Rayola marks just the eighth overall since he's been at Georgia, the eighth overall five star offensive player that he signed uh, there in, in Athens, which is which is wild to think about how productive the offense has been. Um, but it, it's sort of just one of those milestones for Georgia that as good as these last two years have been for them. It could get, it could get even better, knowing that there's room to grow on the offensive side in terms of the talent that they're acquiring.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, no, uh, l- let me just comment on his recruitment, and then I'll, I want to touch bit, touch on what you just talked about. Um, Dylan was a <clears throat> Dylan was going to announce about two months ago that he was committed to Georgia. Um, Kirby and Mike Bobo have been have been locking this down for a while now, um, but then the The day that he was going to announce, some some other outlet got worried about it, and they started promoting and pushing that he was going to commit today, or that day to Georgia. He got cold feet and didn't commit. Um, and over the last two weeks, USC and Nebraska um, have tried to have have really tried to fight hard to get him back. and And who's to say that still doesn't happen? Um, but. Um, this is not hyperbolic. Uh, This is the best quarterback that Georgia has had talent wise and skill wise since Matthew Stafford. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a world actually in which Kirby has the best class ever in college football recruiting history. Um, if things keep going the way they're going, but to, to your comment and question that you asked about, uh, yeah, man, Kirby has been getting a lot of blue-chip talent, but he has not been getting the elite talent on the offensive side of the ball. And for him to be able to get Dylan Raiola, um, people need to realize the biggest reason why this was able to happen is not because of national championships. It's not because of wide receivers. It's it's because of um, Mike Bobo. It is because of Mike Bobo my Bobo might be in that elite tier of recruiter in the country and having him and the system, not changing on offense was just so easy for him to make this able to happen. And yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that helps or comments on what you were talking about, but that's, that's where my head goes.
1: Yeah. And this opens up a, a lot of different opportunities for Georgia because. Um, this obviously you think, well, if Dylan Rayola just slides in and he if and Bennett's capable of running this offense, well, then Dylan Rayola should be, uh, uh, you know, he should be able to run the offense and maybe even do it, you know, that much better and blah, blah, blah. I think you've got a good chance of seeing the offense change for Georgia, much like how things changed at Alabama when Tua came in. Uh, and I'm, I mean, it was night and day between the first, the first half and the second half of that national championship game with a guy like Tua on the field and. Um, it, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but. The opportunity to open things up um, and do different things with the passing game on a down by down basis, I think is going to. In a possession by possession basis, I think is going to be different for Georgia going forward. Stetson, that first year for the championship, threw it 20 and a half times a game. And when he threw it, he threw it really, really well. He did exactly what they asked him to do when they asked him to do it, and it just happened to be only 20 times a game. 30 times a game this past year, it was about the same thing. He did exactly what they asked him to do. The things that they're going to ask Dylan Rayola to do are going to be different things, or at least they can be different things. And it sounds weird, and I think maybe it will be hardcore football people that will be able to notice it, so it might not even jump off the screen at me for me uh, to begin with just because it could look very similar. It's just going to be slight changes here and there as to what they're asking for. That's what you're getting with a Dylan Rayola. I think that's what Alabama got with Tula and what they got with other quarterbacks that came through there that were able to throw the ball 40, 35-plus times a game because they could just rely on them to do it. They could rely on the system. They could rely on that, you know, working out that way. Georgia's now going to be in a, in a position where they've got a quarterback that they can lean on. They don't have to lean on the defense as much. So the defense might not have to be as great and all, all worldly as they've had to be the last couple of years. Now you can start leaning on Dylan and, you know, Georgia might not miss a beat, a bunch of beats, but it'll look different uh, now with, Maybe a little bit more of an emphasis offensively, because of course, Rob, I'm sure you'd like to make the point. Uh, the flood, the the potentially, the floodgates are now going to open offensively for Georgia in recruiting. Dylan's going to attract other, other elite
0: talent. Jeremiah Smith, that is the player to watch. Um, now post, uh, post this commitment. Um, he is a five-star, number one wide receiver that is currently committed to Ohio State. Guess who else was currently committed to Ohio State? That is Dylan Rayola Um, and Jeremiah Smith this weekend will be at UGA along with Dylan Rayola and a lot of other big name, big name recruits that (laughs) the rich get richer um, in this situation. Um, But here is something I want to ask you, and uh, I don't I, I don't promote everything that is said or somewhat the vulgarity at times that is talked on this podcast. But Parcel Sports' is Unnecessary Roughness podcast. Um, I was listening to I was listening to them, and Brandon Walker was talking about this exact announcement, this recruitment. And um he made a point that I actually <sighs> reluctantly or begrudgingly, I actually may agree with. And he was talking about the commitment of Dylan Rayola and how Georgia doesn't need a Dylan Rayola to win, but a Nebraska may need a, a Dylan Rayola to com- be competitive, to win, um, and it, it him going to Nebraska opens up avenues for different conversations and different storylines, and it it spreads the wealth a little bit more so to speak, and 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 I. This is something you and I have talked about a lot. I just never thought Georgia would be in this situation that they're in. So I never really looked at it this way. But, Spencer, I think I may have – like, I want Dylan Real. I'm so glad he's going to be a dog. Like, I mean, let's win another title you know, let or two with him. But if I'm looking at the health of college football, I think Brandon Walker may have a point.
1: I mean, Georgia just proved it the last two years in a row. There's only been – there's a single-digit number of programs – over the history of college football, have been able to win back-to-back national championships, and Georgia's done that without an elite talent at quarterback. They just they had a really smart quarterback, a guy that could do everything that you asked him to do. He, you know, we all know the things. Stetson Bennett was great, yeah, yeah. yeah we don't, yeah. but he wasn't Dylan Rayola in terms of what he's physically going to be capable of doing. Agreed. And putting together, he's not Jacob Eason. He's not Justin Fields, or. You know, Bryce Young, blah, blah, blah. He's not those guys physically. He doesn't jump off the, the page, but he gets it done because he's, you know, he's surrounded by so much other great talent. Him doing his job to the best of his ability ex- accentuates what everybody else is able to do. And it's just, you know, it's that much more powerful. So, you know, yeah, Georgia doesn't need a four star quarterback. I think if they want to keep winning, they need this kind of guy because they're going to have to evolve and people are going to yes. catch up. So to continue the winning, this is probably something necessary, much like it was for, for Nick Saban, because you, you want to be able to evolve and show people new things and do different things and never get complacent. But you're, you're yeah, you're absolutely right. It would be better for the overall poly- product of college football for more teams to be better at the same time. Yeah, Dylan Rayola would help Nebraska become better quicker. They might not be a 10-win team right away with Dylan Rayola, but, you know, they could give people some trouble this year. And then next year, uh, you know, a, a season under his belt and more talent around him with Matt Rule. Yeah, you could have a, a really competitive Nebraska next year to go along with what should continue to be a really competitive every other team and another step forward for Tennessee and another step forward for Miami and Texas and USC uh, along with everybody else. So, yeah, one more team or two more teams is better for college football. Um, so yeah, no, there's absolutely a point being made there, but you can make that point for Alabama yes. and the the player that they just pulled out of the portal. They don't they don't have to have that guy, but they got him and he's going to help with their depth because they're going to need depth because every team needs depth. You're right. You're,
0: you're you can absolutely. say it about
1: Ohio State and Clemson.
0: Yeah, but this whoever was, else. Just to be clear, this is not me saying, oh man, Georgia should really let other people get good players. Yeah, of course. I, right. I, yeah i'm just speaking about because like if i'm not mistaken his dad you know i know his dad played the nfl i think his dad played at nebraska um yes correct lineman. and i just i don't know it just the the thought has never again has never crossed my mind from the perspective of georgia and and again this isn't about oh georgia should give up players but there there is something to there we need to, this whole nil thing was is supposed to help spread the wealth so to speak and uh, you know, I, I want to look back at statistics over, you know, in two years, give it about three or four years time. I, I want to look and see, hey, are we are we seeing these blue chips, these four or five star guys go to other places? Um, because I I, I I do want that to happen. But again, it's anecdotal. You know, it, it just it was able to prompt this conversation because of Dylan Rayla. Number one player in the 2024 class committing to Georgia, which, by the way, Georgia now has the number one and the number five quarterback in the 2024 class committed to Georgia. Um,
1: you, you know, to to your point real quick before you move on, the, yep. the name, image and likeness effect was always going to be slow growing and spreading the wealth because the best programs were always going to be really good at name, image and likeness, too. It, it was it was an opportunity for everybody to close the gap a little bit, but not a whole lot because, well, Alabama can be good at this too. Alabama gets to play name, image, and likeness as well. So does Georgia and Ohio State and Florida and whoever else. They all get to play it, and they get an opportunity to be really good at it also. So the gap may close a little bit, but it's not going to close a lot because the big boys, they get to be good at this thing also.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're, you're absolutely right, and – you know, I, I look at, I look at a team like Nebraska, I, you know, Nebraska is probably a bad example, um, especially when it comes to Rayola, because I don't, I don't believe that they're only one player away. I think they are a culture away, which I know that Matt rule is trying to change, but like, I need to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think on the spot. I'm trying to think of a good example of a, a team who is just one, who is one quarter, who is a quarterback away. Um, could, Tennessee could probably
1: use a. I mean, Joe Milton might be the guy. But yeah. Tennessee could probably use a really talented guy to step right in and pick up where what's his name left off.
0: That's true. I, I'm trying to might think. Might not of be teams. the best example. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. no I. But, but I, I think I still think it's a good one. Um. I uh,
1: mean, uh, Ohio State's not necessarily. They don't know exactly who their quarterback's going to be at this moment. You
0: know what I'd say? Michigan. I think Michigan's an elite quarterback away.
1: And McCarthy, I think they expect, they expect elite things out of him, but yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he could be the guy at, at some point going forward, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, I, I think that's a fun exercise. We, we may, we may try to do something fun with that in the next few weeks of just like, who's, who's someone that could like, I don't know how to frame it yet, but just like, who's a team that could compete for their conference or even a title with just like a changing of one player because, because for me, Tennessee is not a quarterback away. Tennessee is a Jalen Hyatt uh, or Chris Tillman, not chris tillman a uh, a, T- a Tillman wide receiver type away because I don't think they have anyone like that this year. but um, and that's just because of you, you referencing them a minute ago. Um all right, Spence, so you got a story for us to talk about, what you what you got, homie?
1: Yeah, so uh, expansion is underway. And I think the last time we talked about expansion, there it was realized that it wasn't. Going anywhere? It was it was going to go behind closed doors, and it was going to be whispers behind dark you know curtains and stuff. Uh, but it's come back around now. Uh, for anybody who's paying attention to the college football world, you know that uh, there's some rumblings now about a, a magnificent seven in the uh, in the ACC uh, this week. In Amelia Island, administrators from the ACC gather for their own spring meetings. More frank discussions are expected about the growing revenue gap between the. Uh, SEC and Big Ten, handcuffed by an ESPN broadcasting contract and a grant of rights that extends another 13 years, ACC schools could find themselves more than 30 million behind the SEC and the Big Ten in annual distributions by the time 2026 arrives. They are not alone, as the data and analytic company Navigate showed in projections last year. While the Pac 12 and Big 12 fight their own Western expansion battles, the ACC is in many ways fighting internally. A subject of seven, uh, excuse me, a subset of seven schools in a 14-member conference uh, are talking over what many have described as an untenable situation. Officials from the seven schools led by Florida State and Clemson have met a handful of times over the past several months with their lawyers examining the grant of rights to determine just how unbreakable it is. Per the grant of rights, each ACC school could give or gives ownership of its broadcasting rights to the league in a deal with ESPN that runs through 2036. If a school breaks the deal, the ACC will continue to own the TV rights of any of the school's home games according to the contract. The ACC's options are quite limited, both for the Group of Seven and the league as a whole. Seek additional revenue from ESPN, succeed from the league, create another league or at least the options that are there. Uh, there's a lot more to the article that um, Ross Dellinger wrote on uh, SI.com, and there's a lot more just from that ACC standpoint, but there's um, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and what they're getting into as well. Um, but essentially, the that was kind of at the beginning of the week, and as we've gotten to Tuesday and Wednesday, we're now starting to understand there's a little bit of momentum behind this revenue distribution idea of switching of the conference instead of giving everybody 36 million dollars like they did in 2021 that certain parts of the revenue that the conference earns as a whole could be divvied up in a merit-based fashion instead of a everybody just evenly distributed and that is obviously going to go a long way to trying to keep happy people like Florida state and Clemson. Um, so you've got a lot happening, but uh, essentially the ACC is trying to figure out how not to get left behind. And it's Florida state and Clemson that are sort of pounding the table right now as they would have the loudest voices in the room uh, with the history that they have, as well as sort of the the recent history that the two programs have with the two, you know, most recent national championships coming from, uh, those two programs in that conference. So there's a lot happening and I think I've caught up for the most part, Rob, what's your, I guess, where do you go to where, what is, what leads to your mind or comes to your mind when you hear, you know, that the ACC is really doing all of this um, sort of morphing and changing, trying to get, uh, trying to make up the gap here, not get left behind.
0: It, it lets me. It lets me know that the ACC is in such a horrible spot, and we sat back and we judged the Pac-12 so harshly, and and rightfully so in, in a lot of ways. Um, and they still haven't figured out their media rights situation. But like right now, I kind of feel like the ACC or the Pac-12 is in a better spot than the ACC, even with USC and UCLA leaving, because. I just it just seems like Pac-12 once they get the media rights figured out they're going to add they're going to add San Diego State they're going to add they're going to add another team and and I think they're going to be fine. My concern though is the fact that the ACC isn't on the same page at all. They have 7 teams. They don't have 8. They have 7 teams that want to bail and say, "Hey, we want more money. The rest of you guys kind of suck. We we want more money given to us." And like this whole like separate to an, to another conference is laughable. It really is because it would what like, even if they did, it would last what three years, and they're all those teams are going to end up going to the SEC or Big Ten anyway.
1: But yeah, the options aren't great, but for sure, the Pac 12 definitely sits with what feels like better options. Um, the SEC, the ACC is kind of stuck with you know 2036 and then not a whole lot of great options with, within that.
0: I just I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, y- you you allowed yourself to be in the worst meteorite contract, maybe ever. Like you allowed yourself to be put in this position. How do you how do you sign off on your conference being in a meteorite steel till twenty thirty
1: six? It was the commissioner. It was their previous commissioner that that signed on to it. I think. I think the Oklahoma and US or the the Oklahoma and Texas decision probably really made the ACC panic the most because it was like, oh boy, we there was and there was no way to know that Oklahoma and Texas was mm-hmm. happening. Nobody knew it was happening until yeah. it was on top of us. So I think the ACC just kind of they ended up in a tough spot because they figured you know that they're their guy, I think just the timeline played out poorly. It came time to renew the contract. They renewed it and they just did it for too long. I don't think there's a way for them to. I think there's something in this article from SI or Brandon Marcillo has something about we're not really mad at Jim Phillips. This is just a, a situation that we're kind of are stuck with from the previous guy, but I don't think they were angry at the previous guy either. It just the timeline played out poorly. This is a direct Consequence, collateral damage to Oklahoma and Texas moving the way that they did. I At mean, least that's what I gather.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's probably true. I guess that's their logic. But even, even with, even with the, the 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 not knowing, this is such such a low number for of money for such a high commitment of time. I think that's probably my concern. You know. Um, but, but they're absolutely, yeah, right. that's a good
1: point. Cause like, I don't understand why these things would go as long as they do. Why you would sign something for, you know, a 16 year deal like that. Um, yeah, that maybe that wasn't a great judgment of, of the landscape of, Hey, there's things on the horizon here, name, image, and likenesses on the horizon, different things that maybe, Yeah, there's, there's no telling. Maybe that just that length of this, of the contract is what's the most damning.
0: And and I'll I'll just say this. I I don't I don't disagree with those seven teams that something does need change. I, I I agree with that. You cannot financially compete with the rest of the country, and it's not even SEC. You can't compete with the Big Ten either. they, they, they just have such a huge stock gap or, or such a huge gap of money against you. You, you you've got to do something. You've got to figure out a way to to change this. I, I just I'm not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to know what the answer is. I just know what they're currently doing is a bad one.
1: Yeah, and and they're looking at potentially changing the distribution of certain parts of the revenue that they get to a merit-based deal that if Duke's not competing in the, you know, in the in a bowl game or if they're not competing in the college football playoff or, you know, whatever it is, then some of that postseason money is going to be distributed a little bit differently than the rest of it. One of the worries for this that was in the, um, that I've read twice about was one, when you, some conferences who have moved to merit-based systems really only saw about a $5 million difference from what the previous year was. So the merit-based deal didn't do a whole lot to change the, the status. Now, what I've read for the, S, uh, for the ACC is that could push up to as much as $10 million. So if it's you know, – they're projected, I think, to pay out $31 million this year, 36 from 21, 31 this past season or, or this upcoming season. 31 is going to be one of the closer numbers here coming up. And, okay, if you're getting 10, you're up to $41 million. That's That's something – If you're Florida State and you can win the conference and you can be in the in the New Year six conversation, that's something for sure that keeps you at least, um, you know, doesn't leave you too far behind the other programs. You're just going to have to be smarter with the money, which isn't impossible. But um, the merit based idea has has been presented as one that you better be careful because this doesn't necessarily automatically mean you're going to make up a ton of the gap. With the SEC and the Big Ten and what they're getting paid.
0: Yeah, uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. I, I I hope that an answer can be found that they can they can solve this. I, I don't want another. I do not want a conference disbanding. <laughs> um, as we, you and I have talked about before, I greatly miss the Big East and and what that was, especially when it comes to college basketball. <clears throat> so I am I'm all I'm all for these conferences staying where they are. We talked about this. Um, You know, back when Texas, Oklahoma made their move, like, sure, it's going to be awesome to see these games. But in the big picture, it's probably very bad for college football as a whole. And like you said before, this probably doesn't happen if it's not for Texas and Oklahoma leaving.
1: Yeah, the the, the 2036 doesn't look as bad for sure. All right. And, And I agree. I think I like the idea of. You know a major conference in every section Of the country that yeah. sounds right That feels right There, there's an evenness To that that At least from a traditional standpoint Looks right maybe We you know maybe moving forward we get Something that balances itself out and things Are good and it's just going to look different But uh but yeah no I agree I, I I like for there to be Um You know conferences In all major parts of the country and I like for you know Duke and Cal to to be a part of those conferences and to every now and again here's a Cal wrecking the party. Here's a Kentucky wrecking the party. Uh mm-hmm. a Vanderbilt wrecking the party because hey they 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 had the right coach and they spent right. They managed the money right and they made a push and oh boy, chaos a little bit from the from the nobodies. Now you're getting to a point where that might not look the same. Your nobodies could turn into to a different group of people and that's a, a different group of schools that could uh, that's a conversation for another time but
0: um, um, I, I will say this too spence or like or I, I don't want to add anything to this but I did want to add one more little quick blurb of a story before we go into our little main topic is it is it okay if I add this in real quick yes, please uh, they announced today that players will be paid for their name image and likeness to be in the NCAA game that's coming out next year
1: yeah. Yeah, EA Sports is going to go and they're getting a bunch of participation from almost all of the schools, and they're going to do face scans and players can opt in and they'll get paid and their money. Uh, how the how the money is going to be distributed exactly isn't all the way finalized, but they're they're getting it finalized and yeah, another cool step there for uh, for the college football game.
0: I am so curious how much money this game is going to make. Like,
1: yeah, and almost makes what's what's the latest edition of of anything cost right now? What What's the what's the price you're paying for the new Uncharted or the new Bioshock or the new whatever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, laughing yeah, laugh up. Go ahead. I don't know what all the games are that are that are popular. <laughs> Fine. But What did okay. the new Zelda all right. cost?
0: All right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. So the new game costs sixty nine ninety nine for the new for the newest systems. Um, sales. Um, Jedi Survivor so seventy dollars. Yeah, seventy seventy dollars. Uh, Jedi Survivor uh, came out in April. Um, let me see. Let me see if I can find the number. Um, so is it? I mean, what? The, the potentially reason this video game could
1: cost a lot of money, right? I mean, this could go oh, yeah. up to a hundred dollars. Well,
0: no, no, no. I, if it, it, well, it depends on what they do. What they'll, well, they'll probably do like other EA games is that they'll have, especially if they're going to try to do the Madden online, like the Madden ultimate team team kind of thing, uh. but, but do it from a college football perspective, which wouldn't be as dreadful as this is, or as the ultimate team is. Cause I know you and I don't like it. Um, but but what they'll do is they'll charge it 70 and you'll you'll have a chance to like get a season pass which will do the you know add this or add that or give you access to this throughout the year uh, well, like well, I told I told one friend what I hope they do is I would I would pay straight up $100 for the next 2 years of a game just charge me 200 uh, charge me $100 and give me the next 2 years of this game. Updated rosters and everything like that. Um, let me. I'm, I'm trying to find sales numbers. Oh, um, uh it Feels like, like. Obviously in the NFL. You've got.
1: 32 teams. 55 players. There's obviously a bunch of free agent players. That you're keeping up with as well. So I mean you're keeping up with a bunch of players. At that point in the NFL. But how many more are you going to be dealing with here? Because now you've got roster sizes that are close to 80 and you've got 120 schools, 130 schools. I mean, you're talking about an X, a much larger number of players that you have to pay some money to at, at some point you figure how much, you know, I I feel like you're paying cents. You're paying, you know, Hey, uh, you know, okay, the, so, Brock Powers is about to get a check for three dollars and fifty cents. It feels like,
0: yeah, because there's so, just
1: so many players. That's why I figured the price is going to go up to something big.
0: Well, it, it's almost like a standardized price uh, across the board when it comes to video games now, except for like adding on, adding on this or that. Like Jedi Survivor, like it, it costs seventy bucks. Um, so this is just on Steam, just the computer platform, Steam. Um. Back on April 27th, a week after – week after the game – or two weeks after the game had launched almost, it sold 600,000 copies, generating $37 million in revenue the first week of its release. Okay, that is only – that is not on PlayStation 5. That is not on Xbox. Um, that That's – like that is a lot – that is a lot of money into a game that is a sequel. The only reason why I bring that up is because <laughs> I think – I, I think college, this college football game is gonna make a butt ton of money. I think it's going to make so much money. At least for this first year. And if it's good, it's going to make it's gonna make all the money. If it continues to be good. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. So Spencer, you had an idea. Let's Yeah, what uh, was
1: the what was the the game that you asked about earlier? Um which, which team is a, like one player away from being yeah, yeah. you know a, yep. Yep. Uh, a national championship contender. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you brought that up earlier because that's exactly the kind of game that we're going to play. But we're going to play it from the reverse end where Texas A&M is the answer to every game preview, season preview, off-season preview, game like that texas a&m is the answer i was so, thinking about this
0: so earlier. it's the reverse, reverse of jeopardy right yeah. or, or it is jeopardy like we're we're providing yeah. questions that the answer is solely texas a&m is that because right? it
1: feels like yes that's right okay. because it feels like as the off season really got it got started and we were having different conversations it felt like every single question that was asked, every single little game that was brought up, little preview uh, angle that was brought up, oh boy, Texas A&M's an answer. Texas A&M's an answer. Texas A&M could be the answer to all these questions. All these preseason previews, mm-hmm. Texas A&M is involved uh, in the answer. It could be a, There could be other teams, of course. Texas A&M's not the only answer but it feels like they are the answer to so many different angles to getting ready for the college football season that there's just so much going on in college station. I got the impression Texas A&M is going to be, we're we're, going to be talking about them all off season. They're going to be a big talking point once the season rolls around and you're never going to run out of angles to talk about them through because there's just so much to them right now. Yeah. So Rob, I'll get us started. Uh, with the first sort of version of this so that we can kind of start to get into it. But one of the questions I had written down was dark horses for the college football playoff. There could be any number of answers to this. Some people are liking um, a handful of other teams. Florida State's one of the teams that people are liking. Some people, I think, even like an LSU as a dark horse. But because Texas A&M was five and seven last year, they technically count as kind of a dark horse, even though their talent, their roster is as talented as it is, and their head coach has the experience that he has, and they've got this new big fancy offensive coordinator hire. They're still a dark horse because they went five and seven last year.
0: Uh. Uh, yeah, Um, I I agree with that. I agree with that question. Or I mean, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that question. Yeah. Um, it is. I don't agree with it, but I, I don't. I don't agree with the premise. I don't think they're a dark horse. I. I've said this before that you know you and I talked about this months ago when the hire was made. Um. Yeah. If if Jimbo lets go of calling plays, sure, sure. You know, this this could really work out well. I just don't think he's going to. I, I think the first. I think the first time. You don't think
1: it will play out that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I don't, I don't think he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Because as we said before, I don't think he's very genuine, um, at all. And and so, yeah. Um. Okay. Here, here is my question uh, that I came up with for Texas A and M: Who gave up the most rushing yards last season in the SEC?
1: They gave up the most rushing yards.
0: Yeah, they. No team in the SEC has given up more rushing yards than Texas A and M.
1: I would have figured that they had had a good defense
0: last year. They—that's interesting. Did you know they gave up 270 yards rushing against Auburn?
1: No, I did not realize that. I didn't realize they They—I—I I figured that the defense was the only thing that was keeping them in most of their games.
0: It must—it must have been their pass defense because they, at at one point last year, at one point in the season, they had given up 2,200 yards rushing. Just Yeah,
1: no, just, that just was bad. not on my radar for sure.
0: Just bad. Uh, all right, what's your next question?
1: So coaches on the hot seat. There's always a conversation topic for the upcoming year. Who are all the coaches that are going to be up for getting potentially fired? And you go around the whole conference or the country, and there's so many different people. And once again, even though Jimbo Fisher has the big buyout, you still feel like people will find a way to put him on this list. That he is a coach on the hot seat in some form or fashion, whether the seats burning fire and they're ready to fire him in week two or it's just starting to get warm and people are really starting to get frustrated because that's the feeling you get. They have to be. He's not he's getting paid too much money and is underachieving so incredibly poorly or so incredibly badly that there's no way the seats not hot in some way. The people, the brass at Texas A&M, have to be tapping their foot, looking at their watches, thinking, you better get it together here, guy, because we're paying you too much money. So I, I think he would def- – te- Jimbo Fisher would definitely jump, uh, find his way on to coaching hot seat articles and conversations as we approach the season.
0: Jimbo Fisher has a worse – or first of all, outside if you take out the 2020 season – which was the covid year. He has a losing record in the SEC. Yeah. He has a worse record than um Sumlin did, which everyone hated, you know. Um I'm l- I'm looking at his buyout numbers right now. His buyout Oh my god. His buyout does not get lower than 20,000 until 2030. But <laughs> But Jeez. from what we from what we can gather, there is a world in which this isn't a big deal, and someone down there can just write a check with some oil money and get him fired, um, or, or several people. Yes, or several yeah. people.
1: You feel like there's four or five of them that could pull their money together and be like, "All right, yeah, you're out of here,
0: pal." Um. So yeah, my 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 question is, uh, who? Who has the most talented roster coming into this season who had the Yes. Who has who has the most talented roster coming into the twenty-three season who had a losing record last year? Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, so it's, this, not, this, it's not even close, right?
1: Well yeah. Yeah, no, Texas A and M has to be one of those answers. Um, I would imagine there there's probably one or two other options as well. But yeah, Techno Texas A and M would have to be at the uh, the top of that list. I also have, you know, a question about, you know, just just pure most talented rosters coming into the season, whether that's five stars or, you know, however you want, I guess you'd have to go with the star ratings, but no matter how you wanted to approach it, this is going to be when it comes to just, hey, who who are the most talented rosters in, in the country? You know, Phil Still and Athlon put those unit rankings together. I would imagine Texas a and is going to have a handful of units ranked inside the top 10 or top 25 for Phil Steele and Athlon and whoever else puts those things together because they're just, it's a talented roster. I mean, it's just an unbelievably talented roster that is wildly underachieving, but they are, they're stacked, which is why it's so mind numbing.
0: Yeah, um. Has there been a more disappointing coach than Jimbo Fisher in the last, just even say five years?
1: No, especially on that time frame. No, um, yeah, no. I think Jimbo would be your would be your guy, one
0: hundred percent. What What's another question you had? So
1: I had, and this was actually a, a piece that came out right around a couple of months ago, top offensive coordinator and quarterback pairings. There are lots of interesting new offensive coordinators that have been hired around college football, and they're being paired with very interesting quarterbacks. Cade Klubnick and Garrett Riley at Clemson would be an example. Um, Now you're looking at uh, Bobby Petrino and, um, oh boy, uh, Max Johnson. there at Texas A&M or Connor Wildman at Texas A&M, whoever the quarterback ends up being, especially if it's Connor Wildman, a former five-star quarterback, um, then yeah, I think people are going to be adding that to the list of just other interesting ways to look at uh, Texas A&M coming up this season. Top offensive coordinator and quarterback pairings, that if those two get on the same page, this this could be, There's uh, and there's a handful of other You know things that start to come alive in this conversation, if these two guys get on the same page, if they really start filling it with one another, Texas A&M could have one of the most talented offenses in the country, one of the most productive offenses in the country. Texas A&M could have one of the most you know bounce back seasons that anybody has had. That you know five and seven, and now they're winning. You know potentially all their games and right in the SEC championship and taking the college football storm you know world by storm. All of that stuff is possible if these two guys get on the same page and really get clicking uh this upcoming this upcoming season. that doesn't mean it's gonna happen. it's just yeah. the possibilities are there that this could be the top quarterback offensive coordinator pairing and and some of that's just because we know Bobby Petrino has some really top flight offenses underneath his belt in his time as a as a as an offensive coordinator
0: no, I agree with that um Straight up, if you told me Texas m was in the playoff this year, uh, like I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised based on talent. I'd be surprised on coach on on coaches on the coaches working together because we've also heard about the the cultural issues that they've had. Like that team quit on Jimbo last year. How come not more people are talking about that? Like this team quit on him, and.
1: So you're hoping some of those guys are out of the building. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yes. And they did have, they did of
1: those transfers. Yeah.
0: They did have a huge exodus. Um, The, the, the other part of this is like, if you're, if we're just going by talent, let's, let's take coaches off the board for a second. And you're just talking about talent. Texas A&M can go toe to toe with anybody in the country, including Georgia, including Ohio state, including Bama, all of them. They could, uh-huh. especially with with uh with connor Wegman this this year like like i I believe that they could it, they are just such a fast. Faci- they're such a fascinating case study for why coaching in college football matters so much coaching as a whole not just yeah. play calling but coaching from a cultural perspective the recruiting all, all of it all of it. It's so important in 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 the world of college football.
1: So I, I want to rattle off a couple of these because I got a, a a big one that I, Good. Think I don't I don't have any more interesting. Okay, I, I, yeah. So I'll, I'll rattle off a couple of these and and sort of just kind of back to the the idea of the premise of the idea. Think of these as the kind of the the title of the article, and then Texas A&M being an option for as as the answer. Teams with uh, offensive improvements expected for. The upcoming year, you know, on offense, bounce back offenses, uh, teams that, you know, are going to be sort of dark courses or surprise teams. Texas A&M fits a lot of those different molds. Best coaching hires, offensive coordinator that we just got done talking about there with Bobby Petrino. Um, Nine top non-conference games. A&M in Miami was an interesting game last year. Could end up being another interesting game again this year. It might not be at the top of those lists. But maybe it gets mentioned as a, you know, as an honorable mention because last year's game was as captivating as it or was a part of the big conversation, at least. Uh, coaches with the most to prove, kind of going back to coaches being on the hot seat. Jimbo has taken a huge hit over what feels like the last several years to his reputation. So he's got a lot to prove this year. Um, College football top 10 defenses. This, a little bit back to what we were mentioning earlier, I thought they had a much better defense last year, and according to the talent, I guess they could continue to have another win or could you know bounce back this upcoming season. I saw an article from 247 Sports earlier this week, most dangerous teams in college football. Again, sort of on that line of this being such a talented, um, a talented roster. Fan bases that are due feels like for as much as as much as we give you know crap to Jimbo Fisher and we kind of make fun of him and we sort of you know make fun of the whole thing you kind of think man right now it must be miserable to be an a m fan and the good solid people of the of college station it feels like you know they're they're due for a win over there college football fan bases that are due for a win Nebraska maybe Iowa could use a win on offense uh any number of other you know, fan bases, Texas A&M feels like they're a fan base that could use a win right now yeah. uh, in, in a big season. So, Rob, the final one that I had that I thought would be the most interesting one to talk about, so I wanted to bring it up last. The NFL always has, during sort of, I guess, the preseason and getting ready for the regular season, uh, their HBO show Hard Knocks. If there was a college football version of Hard Knocks, Would there be any other place to go, (laughs) first and foremost, than College Station, right? Uh, Texas A and M has to be the number one answer to that question. If you had to pick a place to take a hard knocks version of college football, you would want to go to Texas A and M, and it would be in the contract language. It would have its own section, its own couple of pages. We want access to boosters. We want access to the name, image, and likeness people. We want access to you know to talk to them whether it's, you know, blur their faces out and, you know, cover up their voices, whatever it is, or, you know, change their voices. We want access to those people. We want access to the coaches and the coaches' rooms and what these – some of it's not even – we we don't care about the players. <laughs> Maybe those players that left last year, we want details on them and and conversations about them. Like, just think of the, the juiciness of what TV would want to do with getting behind the scenes of any college football program, but especially there at College Station.
0: Uh- I don't I don't know if there's a better answer. Like I I think I think the University of Florida would be interesting. I think I think Miami would be interesting. I think Oklahoma this year would be super interesting. Colorado. Yo, <sighs> oh, gosh, Colorado. No, Colorado, Colorado might be the second answer. Well, Colorado would be boring though because we know they're not going to win games. At least, at least the narrative of like the story of the wins losses for for uh, um, for a And M is interesting because like we expect them to win to win games. Colorado, we don't expect them winning games, or at least I don't.
1: Yeah, I guess I just feel still feel like the behind the scenes stuff of just what Dion is telling the guys and. Who's ex- like getting interviews with some of the guys that are exiting and hey, the coaching staff yeah. is acting like this and then they're treating those players like that and all of the internal bickering and back and forth desperate housewives kind of stuff that could really be in there. I think the TV people would just eat that al- eat that up. I wouldn't necessarily love to have all that uncovered and, and embarrass those kids that are going in and out and the ones that are being forced out. That probably wouldn't be super fun just from a hey, that's not cool to do that to those kids. Mm-hmm. But the TV people wouldn't care Their their eyes would light up with the with the dollar signs Yeah, you're right Yep, you're absolutely right you're I think right. some stuff from Dabo Sweeney Would be interesting on that as well Like going and getting a, a peek Behind the scene as to Because um, I'm sure some people Think that he's he does a song And dance in front of everybody But I think real people understand that's who he is And I yeah. think getting a, a, a Behind the scenes vision of that being who he is, and uh, and getting a chance to see that in sort of a a longer a longer form, I think people would be interested in that to to some degree. Yeah.
0: No. Obviously, no, I, Nick I,
1: Saban I, would be fun to follow along with too.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think I, especially
1: I, in his old age,
0: <laughs> watching him eat eat that oatmeal cream pie every day. Um, yeah,
1: and then go out there and and, and spit it in everybody's face. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, man, uh, that, that's that's great. I I'd, I'd love this little this little bit, um, but th- that's all I got.
1: Yeah, no, that was uh, I had a whole list of things and it's uh, uh, definitely been um, sort of an interesting way to, to look at it. I don't know how many other teams around college football would fit into that many categories. Kirby Smart and the dogs obviously are not in. They're not looking to have uh, improvements on offense. They were pretty good last year. They're not looking at a coach on the hot seat. Uh, So, you know, I don't know how many other teams would match up with that many different storylines for the upcoming season. And it feels like they all match uh, to Texas A&M. So going to be a very interesting group uh, to follow along with this upcoming college football season. All right, Rob, uh, be sure to like, rate, review and subscribe. I'm on uh, Twitter, Spencer underscore Van Horn, V-A-N-H-O-R-N. Spider Dude 64 for Roberto. We'll catch you on the flip flop. Later.